With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Gigabit Nation, broadband talk radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone in the audience for taking time to be with us today. Our mission, as always, is to provide information to help public private and nonprofit organizations get faster, better broadband everywhere it needs to be. When it comes to broadband, one of the pivotal federal agencies to influence its deployment and adoption is the Federal Communications Commission. They play a major role in influencing policy and also have several funds that provide monetary support for deployment and adoption. Um, one of the biggest champions uh, in the FCC of consumer and community interest uh, has been uh, Commissioner Minyoung Clyburn, and uh, she will continue to be a champion, having recently been confirmed by the Senate to begin her second term as commissioner. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, former Bureau Chief Sharon Gillette on the show to talk about a lot of the daily work that goes on within the FCC. Today, I'm delighted to have Commissioner Clyburn on to provide some big-picture perspective on a couple of major issues uh, that impact a lot of people throughout the country. Uh, Commissioner Clyburn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Craig. It is my pleasure to join you. And it is a pleasure having you back again. Now, I know that you're, you're pretty busy these days, so let's jump right in here. Um, in 2011, when you were first on the show, uh, we discussed lifeline reform, and uh, the Let's recap and move forward. What was the main objective of that particular reform action, and where is the FCC in this process a year and some months later? Well, again, thank you for allowing me to come to shed a little bit of light on these vital and critical programs that Congress has established and the FCC is implementing. So one of the things, if someone were to really critically look at their phone bills, they will see a line that says universal service. And a lot of people wonder what that is. But the universal service fund in total is a, a program that is designed to cr ensure that there is affordable phone service for all. A lot of individuals are not so f as, as much as so fortunate like you and me, though we are, you are a little richer than I am. There are a lot of persons um, who qualify um, as low income. And so this program attempts to bridge the communications gap in a whole host of ways. Number one, you mentioned Lifeline. That is a part of the Universal Service Fund. The other is E-Rate, which uh, is connecting schools and libraries in, in areas across the nation. And there's a rural health care component uh, to the Universal Service Fund that that ensures that those facilities that are helping those in need have the information infrastructure uh, to ensure service. So the Lifeline program, the reason why we thought it was so important to reform the universal service and to reform the Lifeline program 
is that we needed to ensure that it was on a sustainable path. The overall program was growing. Um, it's well over uh, $8 billion. And there were a lot of people critical um, of, of that figure, and it's become increasingly a larger part of our telephone um, bill um, experience. So what we did was look at the program and said, how can it become more efficient and more in line with our modern communications needs? So we set out to extract efficiencies, and one of the things we did uh, was to, uh, again, ensure that there are not a lot of duplicates, to ensure that the critical needs, communications needs, are being met uh, through these programs, through these programs, including Lifeline. Mm-hmm. Now, I uh, just interrupt for a quick second. I saw um, in the press release that in one of the areas that you were looking for efficiencies, you found about fourteen what about fourteen million dollars in uh cost savings and whatnot. Probably good to talk about that a little bit because that's a fairly decent chunk of change there, actually. Well we had in terms of the lifeline program, we had a two hundred million dollar saving uh, target that we uh, are seeking um, you know, to realize, and we are in line to do that. And so one of the things was to ensure that the providers of service are doing so in a manner that is consistent, uh, again, with uh, good business, good governance, um, and, and good engagement. So we got rid of um, a lot of the duplicates that were uh, happening because a lot of people did not know that um, they might have had a landline and a mobile phone experience, but they were getting um, basically two um, or more um, uh, two or more extractions, I guess you would say, um, from the uh, Lifeline program. They were getting subsidized more than once. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we did was realize, um, you know, those efficiencies and ensure that the uh, providers were um, in compliance. Um, there were some uh, providers that, that, you know, they made the news that they were not um, acting in good faith. Uh, so we in, uh, did some things to ensure that. Um, but these types of reforms um, are, are helping to sustain uh, the overall uh, program. And these reforms um, are, are so targeted to ensure that uh, the communications uh, landscape is available and open for all. Uh, you know, Lifeline is truly a lifeline, mm-hmm. you know, connecting people to jobs, to health care, and the like. And so to ensure that it's uh, sustainable, to ensure um, that um, it uh, remains affordable in terms of communications delivery, um, it was our, um, you know, those are our number one goals. Mm-hmm. And one of the real issues, too, with the, the reform is that, one of the changes coming to Lifeline was to make it uh, so that it would support broadband as well as traditional phone service. And I'm gathering from uh, looking over the number of pilot projects that were announced uh, recently that uh, you followed through with that realm. In other words, these pilot projects were looking at delivering the same affordability but providing the Lifeline to broadband as well as telecom services. 
it is recognizing that the steps that we're taking is in uh, taking uh, it's in recognition of the fact that the way we communicate now is different from when the program was established. Right. It was once a voice only e- experience. Now it's voice, it's data, it's video, and so we need to recognize and ensure that all of um, the, the public um, is uh, you know uh, connected accordingly uh, mm-hmm. because. Eighty percent of the Fortune 500 companies today only take online applications. So if you do not have that engagement, if you don't have that connectivity from a broadband perspective, either in the home or in our schools and libraries, then how are the citizens, um, how will they be able to take advantage of these services? How will they be able to um, you know, apply for a job? You know, if you go to Walmart, Target, or the like, you have to go online to fill out uh, that application. You mm-hmm. do not walk into these stores, um, no, no, no matter you know what the you know uh, if it's a, a, a no no matter what the level of uh, remittance is in terms of. Uh, you know your salaries. You do not walk into these jobs um, or these uh, places of business and fill out uh, an, an application. So we recognize all of that. That uh, this program is seeking to bridge the gap, but is now um, going to bridge the gap in a modern way in terms of how we are communicating. We mm-hmm. recognize that. And um, one of the things you mentioned, a pilot project, uh, projects in December. Uh, we announced 14 pilot projects in 21 states, and the primary goal of these projects is for us to obtain useful information in order to better uh, provide service delivery in, in, as it relates to a modern broadband-enabled engagement. So these pilots will cover 21 states, uh, Puerto Rico, as well as one tribal nation, in order to provide the information we need. But the incredible positive byproduct is that almost 75,000 low-income consumers who now lack broadband will now have, well, then at the end of the project, um, will have subsidized service. So it is a win-win, meaning we will get the information we need to know how we should go forward with the delivery of services, lifeline services, uh, to our citizens. But 75,000 people will, within 18 months, uh, be connected um, that did not have the infrastructure or the means by way of affordability to do so. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I uh, I picked up on looking through that list of projects is that there are a number of local telecommunication companies, a number of uh, uh, local telecom co-ops, which I take to be a good sign that the pool of uh, providers that are going to be engaged with this program in the long run will include a, a, a fair number of smaller uh, smaller players. Right? It absolutely could- had to because mm-hmm. when we look at where those disconnects are in terms of uh, you know broadband engagement. Um, both from an infrastructure standpoint, and we can talk about that a little later, later, as well as an adoption standpoint, they are in these what we sometimes refer to as donut holes in, in this nation. And so we knew we had to have a targeted approach where things are harder 
where it, the uh, the expense mechanism um, is more difficult, where the business case cannot often be made. Mm-hmm. And so we're going into those areas uh, with a targeted engagement, recognizing if we are to literally connect, um, you know, America – uh, in terms of having a, a, a modern-day communications experience, we've got to figure out how to most efficiently tackle those um, you know, areas where the business case just simply is not made, um, cannot be made, and the investment um, is not following because that business case has not okay. been made. Now, let's shift uh, direction for a little bit. We'll We'll come back to the infrastructure uh, question, but I think one of the bigger attention-grabbing reforms that's going on right now is the Connect America Fund, and yes. uh, I think a lot of our listeners have been keeping uh, tabs on that. I mean, it started with a um, a small piece of the big USF fund. I mean, the, the USF fund itself was pretty much in the billions of dollars, but it's yeah, started, over eight billion, right? Right, and it started with a phase one. Um, uh, $300 million uh, program, funding program, if you will, that got a fair amount of participants, but then also a number of people decided not to participate. What's this, this phase two that's that's starting to uh, unfold? Well, to, to reemphasize that uh, the Universal Service Fund is made up of has four components, one of which you mentioned, which is the high-cost program, which is which seeks to do just what it, um, you know what you put forth um, to to bridge that gap uh, to address the critical needs in areas where the business case could not be um, would not be made and service would not be delivered but for um, a more enhanced engagement. So each and every one of us again pays into that program. So going forward as a part of the reforms, we now call this the Connect America. Fund. And you're right, it's been broken down into two phases. Uh, the first phase, uh, we there was an infusion, uh, a possible, well, an infusion of $300 million. You alluded to the fact that not all of that money was taken, um, uh, was uh, accepted, but $300 million was made available uh, last year to areas uh, where there is currently um, uh, not service being provided. What we found and what we saw is 80% of those unserved consumers live in an area served by what we call price cap carriers, meaning those carriers, it's just just like it sounds, um, that they have um, a particular price in which they charge um, consumers as opposed to a rate of return carriers, which they are guaranteed, uh, just what I said, a, a certain uh, percentage of rate of returns. So there will be price Fluctuations, but in this particular case, um, we recognize that the more most of the unserved, eighty percent, were in these um, areas. So we, in terms of Connect America Phase One, provided up to three hundred million dollars for those areas, and at a certain cap per area. $775 per location that we would provide for companies to provision service in areas where uh, it does not um, exist. They have up to five years to meet uh, these obligations. They have reporting requirements and the like. Uh, 
And the reason why we thought this was so important, that we knew this was so important in terms of providing service as well as, um, you know, to ensuring the outcomes that we wanted, um, is that uh, we know, uh, like we were um, saying earlier, that if we don't address the critical communications uh, needs of the American consumers, that there will be further and further and more and more disparities. That is unacceptable um, for this administration. Uh, So uh, we um, have this targeted approach to ensure that um, this particular framework uh, for fixed um, line experience um, is, uh, you know, made uh, more robust and, and more modern. But mm-hmm. one of the things that made history as, a, uh, as it relates to this also was that for the first time, the commission found uh, that the mobility engagement, your mobile engagement, should be supported also. I don't have to tell you that in um, in, that in terms of lower income areas, uh, in African-American and Latino um, areas, that mobile device, that cell phone literally is the lifeline. And so what we said was we uh, that there needs to be a two-pronged engagement from a fixed standpoint as well as from a mobile standpoint. And we also offered up, offered up to $300 million in one-time support to provide advanced mobile voice and broadband services where 3G or better service was not um, was not um, existing. So we mm-hmm. had 33 winning bidders in that category. Most of the money um, the m- money uh, was taken advantage of, and pretty soon, um, 83,000 road miles and 31 states in one territory will have a more robust mobile broadband and mobile voice experience strengthening our public safety and communications uh, landscape all over the nation. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to ask a question which is going to require a little bit of, of speculation probably. A number of providers, of, the, of smaller providers, took some amount of money uh, but didn't take all that they were uh, eligible for for a number of reasons. And I think a number of folks, you know, outside of the process have, have wondered, you know, would it, would it come down to, you know, a number of, of, of the larger providers deciding not to take the money? What do you expect is going to be the impact if um, <clears throat> you don't have uh, providers, or at least what I would call the traditional providers, accepting this money to meet the needs in these unserved communities, are you going to uh, reach out and be more aggressive at getting non-traditional providers, smaller providers, uh, community networks? I mean, it looks like, and this is just a small tip of the, the iceberg, $300 million. I mean, we still have the, the, the you know, the bigger... And that's in phase one, and then phase two, there'll be more, uh, right, right, engagement, right. But But how do you foresee getting past the fact that a number of providers don't see a value in participating in the program? Well, one of the things we did in order to ensure that we had um, uh, the the most robust and most efficient and quick engagement, because this is about doing things as close to now as possible, so what we uh, decided to do in phase one of both experiences was to 
um, particularly on the, on the um, landline experience, was to direct support at those carriers that already had a presence, and that this is a key that had the eligible telecommunications, um, you know, carrier status uh, that is necessary to qualify for these funds. So I mentioned on phase one of the Connect America on the uh, uh, the landline fixed experience that not all of the money uh, was uh, uh, was taken advantage of. So what we're doing is reevaluating. Uh, looking at different proposals to see um, what our next steps should be, so that we can get that money and get um, uh, uh, this uh, this robust experience that we are uh, looking for, make, ensuring that uh, that uh, helps in terms of the communications landscape. But that, in and of itself, answers your question that could provide opportunities for smaller and other regional players who have the necessary status needed. Uh, so. I am hopeful uh, that um, you know providers that were not uh, the um, incumbent carriers, when they see those opportunities, ideally will comment, will engage, and let the FCC know just how much they could um, uh, enhance uh, the communications experience um, in this manner. And I am uh, I am uh, incredibly hopeful that we will have a, a, a robust a number of players. A small and large, uh, incumbent and not, and competitive uh, to um, and, uh, take advantage of these opportunities and provide service for the uh, um, the American public that is currently uh, not um, enabled with um, with modern day networks. So, so then I, it sounds like from that you're saying that um, one of the tactics you're looking at is maybe making it easier for. Um, smaller providers and maybe even community networks to qualify for ETC because that's kind of the linchpin for which um, providers are eligible not only for the phase two money but also for the bigger for the bigger pie. Well, and when you qualify, you know, to be an eligible telecommunications carrier, that happens in one of two ways. In the bulk of the nation, it happens at the state level with the PUC, the Public Utility Commissions, or the Public Service Commission is what it's called in my home state. Um, you have to, you know, qualify, make application, and qualify as a, a, a an eligible carrier at that level. There are a handful of states that, um, that um, you know, come to the FCC for that engagement. So we have to take care of you know that part of the um the eligibility experience before we can um engage from this uh, standpoint but one of the great things about the FCC is that uh we have several notices uh, along the way notices of proposed rulemaking um in this case in which any party can engage and if by chance the thresholds are too high or the hurdles you know are are, are too significant there is an opportunity for uh, persons, you know, to file comments for our consideration, and um, and and we will address those at the time. Uh, you know, we come up, uh, you know, with rules and regulations, and, and we come up and uh, put forth reforms in order to ensure that we um, that we are good stewards of the public's uh, money, because it's your money coming out of, um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, out of your pockets each month when you pay uh, your bill, mm -hmm. and 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 and, and poor, as just as important, uh, we uh, want to ensure that um, widely available, universal 
universal uh, service um, from a provisioning standpoint uh, is made available and it is made available in an affordable manner. So um, it's not it's how we get there. Oftentimes we have to worry about uh, in terms of the detail, but it's important for all of those uh, eligible and uh, wanting to be eligible. Um, let us know if by chance um, there are some disconnects that um, are preventing a, an ideal experience. Mm-hmm. Now. I know you don't get into a lot of the, you know, the mechanics of a lot of the day-to-day stuff because there's just so many different things going on. But um, do you see a, um, I don't know, an increase uh, of a role for the wireless ISPs? I think of once you get past the co-ops, you know, and, and some of them are a little disgruntled and feel like, you know, they're not getting uh, into the system well enough. Uh, WISP tend to be very vocal about, um, you know, the, the, the participation. Would changes to, not changes, but making the ETC process easier, should that bring in more of the WISP community? Well, when you say easier, um, I want to ensure, um, you know, to let everyone know that there's, these are critical services that we're speaking about. Mm-hmm. So if, again, the application process is too onerous and the like, yes, um, I would definitely be an advocate you know, advocate for making that part of it easy. But I am not going to um, make uh, any excuses about having a, 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 an engaged, extremely critical evaluation process because, again, right. we're talking about critical services. There are very few things more critical than the ability uh, to communicate in terms of, uh, uh, you know, public safety obligations and, um, you know, again, being in touch with your loved ones and the like. So um, the critical evaluation process, again, that's got to remain. If there are things in terms of our matrix that are are making, um, are keeping out uh, good players, uh, then I am all for ensuring that um that we do everything we can uh you know to lower uh that uh, that bar if it's getting in the way mhm and and I'm a pretty big advocate of the uh accountability factor and uh, making sure that the people the companies the entities that are applying for funds are are qualified to do the work and get the job done as they were you know awarded these these projects to do. Uh, and again, but, we're talking about the public's money. Each mm-hmm. month, you pay into the fund, so it, it's 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 not discretionary to us. <laughs> right, we really exactly. have to, exactly. um, you know, we really have to in- ensure that um, again we're good stewards. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I, the last time you were on the show, talked a little bit about the idea of making funds available. Well, I mean, I brought up the idea uh, okay. of, uh, of um, making funds available to communities based on eligibility. Say, for example, there are a thousand people in a community that are eligible for Lifeline, or mm-hmm. there are you know two thousand people in an area that's you know unserved or underserved. That uh, a certain amount of money can be made available from these funds, uh, the Connect America funds, but let the community find and justify um, the the solution for that particular community. 
So in other words, they might say, well, we have $100,000, or sort of similar, I guess, to the E-rate program. You know, we mm-hmm. have a lot of money. We want to achieve X, Y, and Z as far as uh, getting adoption and, and, and infrastructure built out and so forth. And, you know, we're going to open up the bid. People come in. We pick the ones that we want, and we hold them accountable, and we report back. I mean, that was kind of the scenario that I laid out. Is this a viable scenario? Can this can we one day maybe have something like that in place that still meets congressional mandate as well as, you know, the logistical considerations? Well, I think um just listening and, and getting refreshed on our, our, our conversation, um, that the pilot projects um are, are sort of reflective of some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned the uh, the robust. There, there's no one size, you know, fits all type of. Uh, when you look at the uh, diversity of the 14 carriers that were um, awarded, um, it is a, a, a communications cornucopia, so to speak, and, and I think that's a positive. For what you're speaking of, uh, one of the other things that we're um, engaged in is um, the connect to compete program, which is looking at all aspects of the adoption and communications experience, particularly as it relates to broadband. So what is happening in that engagement um, with different providers, with, uh, you know, a, a private engagements, with, uh, with Best Buy, with um, a whole host of uh, individuals, because it really does take a, a, a village uh, to, to, to handle this, is we're seeing uh, people from public libraries, from community interest groups, and the like, uh, being a part of the solution. So, in terms of um, you know how they're remunerated or uh, what type of economic engagement, um, I am hopeful that with um, an ongoing uh, dialogue and exchanges, um, we can work out some of those particulars. But the Connect to Compete program recognizes that Mignon Kyburn coming into your uh, you know neighborhood um, and assisting you. Number one, if it's from a, a technical standpoint, we both will be in a lot of trouble. But you would be more comfortable, I suspect, with uh, people in the communities in which you are um, uh, you call home, helping you with the experience. So what I'm hoping is, um, you know, uh, 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 some composites of what you're putting forth, but a lot of that is recognized um, in the um, experiences uh, in some of the uh, partnerships that are being realized, uh, and we need to do a better job possibly of getting the word out, um, particularly. So, I, you know, have your readers um, and your listeners, uh, everything is a, a reading for me, but have your listeners uh, uh, check out Connect to Compete and what the goals and objectives are and really uh, engage, um, really give feedback uh, because we don't have all of the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, how best to delivery, deliver services and how best um, for us to go forward, you know, all of those things are important, and it can only happen with a mutual engagement. Right. No, no, that that makes a lot of sense. One of the um, – we're going to shift gears a little bit for our last 10 minutes. Um, w- one issue that seems to be coming up uh, with greater frequency is the issue of competition. And mm-hmm. um, there is a feeling, particularly among our – you know, a lot of our advocates that 
the competitive state of broadband is is lacking in the U.S. That uh, and in fact, I'm engaged in a in a needs assessment project for a community in Iowa where there are providers technically there, but they're not providing the kind of services that people need. And the most common, like when we did a survey, the most common uh, response, and these are from everyday folks, was that we don't have enough uh, competition. We don't have enough options. We don't have good prices because we don't have enough uh, good options. Um, how do you see the state of competition in, in the U.S.? And I know that you guys are bound by certain regulations and requirements mm-hmm. and so forth, but but how how do you see competition, and how does the FCC maybe influence greater competition? Well, one of those uh, I, I, I think about that. This is when it's more diff- it's difficult for me to just uh, keep my um, uh, FCC hat on and and not put on my Mignon Clyburn hat. So <laughs> let me go ahead and fuse, um, you know, give you a hybrid, you know, um, a, a approach uh, to all of this. So when I hear you say that, I'm not in disagreement. Um, I, I look at certain pockets, especially in those areas um, where there, uh, there, uh, there's a lack of concentration by way of population or there might be some income issues and the like and certain assumptions made about um, how uh, robust the engagement would be from an adoption standpoint or how lucrative uh, the uh, you know, returns would be for a particular com- a company. In those areas, um, there has a tendency to be a little, um, you know, competition. Uh, there are a lot of big national players that, if you were look to look at their portfolio, it's it's, it's pretty healthy and um, uh, and and. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. But there are a number of ways that I believe we can address this. Again, through these uh, projects, I'm hoping that we'll, we we will be able to gain a lot of insights. Um, if we are, in terms of our evaluations, um, at both at the federal and state levels, if we're not doing um, uh, enough, and there are good ideas that are percolating um, um, in the um, in, in the outside of these walls, it's incumbent upon all of um um you know all of you know, your listeners to challenge all of us um and that challenge to me comes in part 2 i mentioned the state experience not by accident because it is um you know a, a dual um it, minimally a dual track uh i think you and i may have talked about some of the laws um that have um been passed at the state level including my home state and neighboring state that would make it extremely difficult for some of the local governments uh, to provision services that might provide some of the competitive um, options and opportunities you put forth. Um, and so there have been some, uh, again, some legislative um, addressings of these issues that um, I think uh, would negatively impact some of the outcomes that um, the, that the public might want. So it has to be a multi-tiered engagement. It has to be, you know, um, uh, you know, you, Craig, you know, challenging the FCC, but you, Craig, also challenging the state legislators and challenging um, the, the, the PUCs or the PSCs uh, in terms of what we could and should be doing to provide um, those uh, co- competitive options, which we all want because competition is good, 
um, and to provide those um, those competitive options will provide enhanced and more robust and specialized services for all. I might not need as many um, you know bites or you know as much um, you know engagement um, as someone else. And the price points and the options, um, if, if we have a competitive, robust environment, could reflect that. But it's going—it's not going to happen naturally without agitation, so to speak. Um, you know, from all of those um, who care about, uh, you know, these um, uh, a more robust um, experience. So I encourage all of you at multiple levels to uh, to be vocal, to um, to to submit options, um, to 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 file in dockets, to do whatever um, you know you can to communicate, um, you know those um, uh, the, your your desires, and um, and uh, you've got a, com a commissioner here uh, who would listen to all you know credible um, you know options uh, brought forth. Mm -hmm. And then to wrap us up today, um, during the height of the broadband stimulus. Uh, uh, craziness is no is probably the best word to describe all that went on. <laughs> Your words, not mine. <laughs> all right, so my words, my words definitely. But you you went around to a lot of communities and held forums, held community meetings, and so forth. Will you continue to do that uh, in these upcoming months and years? Uh, as much as I can, and the reason why I say that is you probably are, you're, I know you're engaged with some of the things that are happening on Capitol Hill, um, which uh, affect our um, our budgets. Mm -hmm. um, so I am sort of on a budgetary leash, so to speak, oh, and, right. and I'm able to make some of the, you know, some of the engagements as, uh, as many as I would like. Mm -hmm. um, but we, what we try to do is leverage as best we can trips and opportunities, and I would be glad to let you know when, um, you know, when I am traveling, if, if we could leverage those types of experiences, you know, I would um, be definitely open to do that. But the answer is yes, but I will have to say that there are some um, uh, budgetary uh, uh, challenges that are not um, under my control that will dictate or govern that. Mm -hmm. So in, in wrap-up, final question, what's the one thing that, that individuals and communities can do to um, get their their side of the story in and help influence policy when they don't have the same kind of you know inside the beltway access that a lot of the big companies do. And I know this probably. I would great. say, I would say leverage. Um, there are a lot of other organizations that have similar goals and objectives um, as you. Uh, line up with them. There are a lot of local and regional uh, grassroots organizations and public interest groups that are looking for causes. You know, challenge them, pre present them, you know, uh, it, it increase your individual, um, you know, ecosystem in terms of engagement. Um, it, it really, you know, we're in a season where we're, uh, uh, you know, we just, this was, you know, King, King, this is King Week, um, you mm -hmm. know, um, for those of us um, who are, are celebrating and honoring the man. And I always think about him as a single individual man who, after all of this time, was still discovering and speaking about his experiences and his accomplishments and how that is still, um, you know, lighting sparks in all of us. Uh, you know, again, 
he did this before Twitter, before Facebook, before an internet <laughs> connection. You know, just imagine, you know, with these connected communities, with these modern tools that we have at our disposals, whether or not they're in our homes or in our libraries or wherever, we have them at our disposal. Just think about what we can do to influence and connect. We should not ever see the power in which we have. It's especially uh, with uh, this modern engagement, especially with people all over the world that share our experiences. Speak your voice, disseminate that information, align yourself with uh, like-minded individuals, and help us provide and provision better policies to help this nation. And that's a pretty fitting conclusion to this uh, to this discussion. I. Uh... I definitely see your point. We we have the ability within our grasp if we make the effort and we use the tools that we have because the tools we have now are, are obviously much greater than they were 40, 50 years 40, ago. 40, 50 years ago. Absolutely. So, um, excellent. I, I know you have to run, so I want to thank you for uh, taking time to, to be my guest. I'm always honored to have you on the show. Um, I, you know, much continued success, and I, I'll be keeping track and, 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 and letting folks know what's going on, you know, from, from your office and within the FCC as much as possible. So, Craig, thank you so much for your support, but thank you more so for your challenges. Sure, not a problem. You have a great day and a great week. And you the same. All righty. And thank you very much to our audience for, um, for participating. Uh, I want to thank you uh, for, for being here you know, we we I do this show to try to uh, you know bring a lot of voices into the mix that that need to both educate us and inspire us and, and move us forward in this broadband uh, effort. Uh, tomorrow is going to be a rather I think significant show. Uh, last week, the FCC uh, Chairman uh, Janikowski uh, announced a. Um, uh, a challenge, if you will, a challenge to bring gigabit cities to every state uh, in the U.S. And this uh, announcement has been met with an interesting mix of, um, you know, applause and skepticism and a number of folks asking, so how do we actually get to that goal? Do, you know, is the goal enough of a goal? Are we challenging ourselves enough to, uh, you know, by having a goal of, you know, one, one gigabit city per state? Uh, tomorrow, I'm bringing together five uh, folks from within the, the broadband, uh, the community broadband arena, to talk about um, the uh, the challenge, to talk about the FCC's position, and really to talk about what it will take to get more of these networks in place. What kind of challenges there are going to be? What kinds of expenses there might be? Uh, we we have a, a very interesting collection of folks who represent uh, the, the the media. Uh, we have Jim Ballard coming in to talk about uh, some of the policy and legal issues. We have Chris Mitchell coming on to talk about, you know, the state of, uh, you know, where we are with communities bringing uh, gigabit networks online. What are some of their challenges? Uh, we have representation from the private sector through um, uh, the CEO of Hiawatha Broadband, who will talk about public-private partnerships. And the purpose of this show is to uh, to have 90 minutes of, you know, a number of perspectives really talking about what does it mean, you know, once we get past the announcements, past the press releases and so forth, when we've got to face the heavy lifting 
of getting broadband into place, when we have to face the heavy lifting of addressing uh, policy issues and so forth. So I encourage everyone to um, to get engaged, to, to show up tomorrow, to listen, to educate, call in with uh, your own comments, uh, because as, as great a representation as we'll have with the five people tomorrow, uh, we can never have enough. We can never have enough voices. So with that, I am going to, to sign off. And again, thanks, everyone, for being here. Hope to see you tomorrow and in all of our, our future shows as we continue to address the issue of getting broadband everywhere it needs to be. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.